Today's episode is about one of my worst nightmares, blood transfusion reactions. Administering blood as a nurse has become pretty routine and quite safe because there's so many safety guardrails built into the process now. But what about when a routine intervention turns into a near-death experience for your patient? Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. Do you know what to look for and how you should respond when your patient develops a blood transfusion reaction? Let me begin by saying I have given blood hundreds of times in my 20-year career. And while I have had some patients have mild reactions, only once have I had a patient with a life-threatening reaction. To be honest, I struggled to prep this episode because I don't feel like I'm an expert in this area. But I have done a ton of research to make sure that what I'm sharing is evidence-based. Y'all, there is so much to learn on this topic of blood transfusions. I feel like a lot of what I'm going to teach you today, I do not remember learning in nursing school. And what I'm sharing is just the cliff notes. So if you want to do your own further education, what I'm about to share came from a combination of UpToDate.com, the CDC, StatPearls, and this awesome podcast I found called Blood Bank Guy Essentials. So I wanted to tackle this beast for my own knowledge acquisition, but also because this applies to every nurse that gives blood which is most of us. So I want you to feel equipped with the basic knowledge of what to look for and what to do should your patient start having a reaction. So let's dive right into this case. I get called to wrap response, and as I enter the room, the patient is really working to breathe. He's a 60-ish male. He's had recent abdominal surgery. The nurse reports that he had not had any respiratory complications in his history or for this hospitalization, but out of nowhere, he just started becoming short of breath. She kept having to escalate his oxygen therapy. He's currently on a non-rebreather mask, and his SpO2 is only 90% on the non-rebreather. And he was breathing almost 40 breaths a minute. So we do our usual thing. Has he gotten any new medications in the last hour? Did he just get up and ambulate? No and no. His EKG was normal. So we call for a chest x-ray, and the RT was trying to get an APG. I went to throw something in the trash, and when I opened the trash can, I saw an empty blood bag in the tubing. So I asked, oh, when did he get this blood? The nurse responded, oh, it's been a few hours since it finished. His h and dropped a little bit after surgery, but he was fine during and after the infusion. So I started asking all the typical questions about blood transfusion reactions. Did he spike a temp? Nope. Any issues during the transfusion? None. Blood pressure pre and post? Normal. So 
I fished the empty blood bag and the tubing out of the trash and set it aside, just in case. His ABG came back terrible. His PF ratio was like 60, and his chest x-ray looked like ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. Then he really started crashing. He became tired and somnolent. The non-reader mask just wasn't able to maintain his SpO2. We ultimately had to intubate him and take him to the ICU. Could this have been a blood transfusion reaction? And if so, what type? I mean, there's so many. Allergic reaction, febrile, non-hemolytic reaction, acute hemolysis, transfusion-associated circulatory overload, also known as TACO, transfusion-related acute lung injury, also known as trolley. Hmm. Well, if you said trolley, you are correct. And if you have no idea, <laughs> then keep listening so we can break down each one so you can know what to do about it. All right, let's just start with the basics. There are so many safety features built into blood cross-matching that reactions really occur. Things like dual nurse verification and barcode scanning have dramatically reduced the occurrence of blood transfusion reactions. But if you suspect a blood transfusion reaction, the first thing to do is stop the blood. Disconnect it and cover the tip of the tubing with a sterile cap and flush your line so it doesn't clot off. And if you wanna be extra safe, pull back to aspirate a few cc's of blood and remove the transfused blood from your pigtail, discard it, and then flush with saline. Once the transfusion is stopped, then you can decide if you just need to notify the provider or if you need all hands on deck rapidly, you need to call a rapid response. So let's go through each type of reaction in order of prevalence and break down what the signs and symptoms are and what to expect. The first is febrile non-hemolytic reactions. So these occur when the patient's immune system reacts to the white blood cells or other substances in the transfused blood. Symptoms include fever, chills, headache. Treatment for mild reactions includes stopping the transfusion, obviously, and administering acetaminophen and other medications to manage the symptoms they're having. This is most common for platelet transfusions, but as far as the diagnosis, it really is a diagnosis of exclusion. So we have to rule out all the other causes of fever to be able to confidently say, okay, it's just a mild febrile non-hemolytic reaction. If the provider feels that that's all it is, you can often continue the transfusion with an antipyretic on board. I have seen a good amount of these, though less and less over the years ago because blood products are leukoreduced now, which lessens the likelihood of this reaction dramatically. The next reaction is an allergic reaction. So this occurs when the recipient's immune system reacts to foreign substances in the transfused blood. Mild reactions can include hives or itching and flushing, while severe reactions can cause anaphylaxis, which can lead to shock, aka tachycardia and hypotension. Treatment for mild reactions includes stopping the transfusion and administering antihistamines, and then you can usually restart it, while severe reactions require immediate cessation of the transfusion and administration of epinephrine and other supportive care measures. So for more on anaphylaxis treatment, check out episode 19, where I go into all of the rationales for all the interventions for anaphylaxis. What differentiates allergic reactions from febrile non-hemolytic reactions is in the title. The febrile one has a fever, which requires antipyretics. And the allergic one or anaphylactic one does not have a fever. So just your classic allergic reaction or anaphylactic reaction symptoms. The next one is somewhat common, and its acronym is my favorite, though 
those who work in the blood bank aren't super fond of this acronym, but it is TACO. So TACO stands for Transfusion Associated Circulatory Overload. I have a great memory of responding to a rapid where I got to say to the doctor, doctor, do you think this is from TACO? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I like this title because the pathophys is basically in the title, Transfusion Associated Circulatory Overload. So basically, the volume of blood throws the patient into acute congestive heart failure with pulmonary edema. It's a volume problem. The patient likely already has some sort of heart failure or pre-existing positive fluid balance, and then we add some more volume with the blood products, and the pump or the heart just can't handle it. Symptoms include tachycardia, shortness of breath, tachypnea, and increasing oxygen demand. The chest x-ray, you will see bi-basilar infiltrates, and the cardiac silhouette may be wider. The treatment is stop the infusion, give diuretics and oxygen, and maybe you'll be able to start it back. There's a chance you can restart the blood at a slower rate after diuresing a bit, but most of the time at that point, you're out of the window to restart the blood products. So remember, this is not a problem with the blood itself. It's a problem with the recipient not being able to handle the volume of blood. When I worked in the cardiac ICU, we almost always gave Lasix in between blood products and wouldn't start the next unit until some diuresis had occurred to prevent TACO on our patients' already weak hearts. Even though, to me, this is the most preventable one, TACO is currently the highest mortality rate when it comes to blood transfusion reactions because it's so hard to turn patients around once they've become so fluid overloaded. So when you have time to deliver the blood slowly, do it. Next, and this one can most definitely be life-threatening, is acute hemolytic transfusion reaction. These occur when the recipient's immune system attacks and destroys the transfused red blood cells. This can be caused by ABO incompatibility, aka mismatched blood types. So the problem here is the system. Some sort of clerical error was made in the blood draw process or the blood testing process, an error that might cost this patient their life. Symptoms include fever, chills, low blood pressure, and hemoglobinuria. In fact, 80% of patients present with fever and chills alone, and the temp usually spikes in the first 15 minutes of the transfusion. That should be your big clue. And that is why we stay with the patient for the first 15 minutes of the infusion, or at least stay close to recheck that temp. Flank pain is another common complaint, but the one that should really get you paying attention is, and I quote, sense of impending doom. You know, when the patient says, I think I'm going to die or don't let me die or am I dying? That should really set off red flags in your head. So the treatment for acute hemolytic transfusion reactions involves, obviously, stopping the transfused blood immediately and providing supportive care measures such as IV fluids and diuretics. So you are shooting for a urine output of greater than one ml per kilogram per hour, and Lasix can help you achieve that. But be careful of fluid overload, because if this whole thing has already killed the kidneys in the process, well, it's going to be very hard for the kidneys to filter out what you're giving them. So pay close, close attention to this patient. In severe cases, the patient may require dialysis and other life-saving measures like intubation, vasopressors, etc., DIC is also a common life-threatening complication of acute hemolytic transfusion reactions. So the key here is 
save that blood for sure. Notify the blood bank so no one else gets any blood from that donor. Until further investigation, we don't know where the clerical error occurred. Was it in drawing the donor's blood? Was it in drawing the recipient's blood? Was it in the blood bank type and screen process? I don't know. But the blood bank has some major work to do to nail down what happened and prevent it from happening to another patient. So again, early onset fever, often with flank pain, and that feeling of something isn't right should prompt you to stop the infusion and call the blood bank and maybe a rapid response. Now, for the reaction that my patient had, transfusion-related acute lung injury, or trolley, this is a rare but severe reaction that occurs when transfused blood products trigger an inflammatory response in the lungs. Symptoms can include shortness of breath, fever, and low blood pressure. Treatment involves stopping the transfusion immediately, noticing a trend here, (laughs) providing oxygen therapy and other supportive care measures. So in severe cases, the patient will require mechanical ventilation and maybe even ECMO to support respiratory function. What makes this diagnosis so hard to come by is often it's a delay onset. The fever is later than hemolytic reactions. Most symptoms occur within the first six hours of the infusion, but there have been some cases where the respiratory failure occurred even after that six-hour mark. My patient appeared fine during the transfusion, and symptoms didn't develop until two hours post the infusion. But the symptoms are kind of a combination of a few of the previously discussed reactions. Fever plus respiratory compromise sounds like hemolytic and taco mixed together. Blood transfusion reactions don't always fit neatly into one category and can have some overlapping symptoms. So proving which one you are treating can be pretty hard. But generally speaking, differentiating from trolley and taco is done by looking for signs of circulatory overload. Taco patients will have distended neck veins, a reduced EF on echo, elevated BNP, etc. Whereas trolley patients will have dropping oxygen saturation, bilateral infiltrates on chest X-ray, and no other risk factors for acute lung injury. They both have similar looking chest X-rays, but if you treated trolley with diuretics, they wouldn't respond well at all. I would definitely seek expert counsel from the blood bank to help differentiate these two. But trolley is treated similar to ARDS or ARDS. Patients will most likely need to be intubated. Protective lung ventilation strategies with low tidal volumes is the current best practice for managing ARDS. Trolley used to be the number one cause of transfusion-related fatalities in the U.S., but much work has been done to mitigate the risk of donated blood causing this reaction, and with more awareness of its dangers, the medical teams can identify it better and treat it appropriately early on. The other big takeaway for trolley is to save that blood because testing needs to be done to prevent another patient from being harmed. Okay, we're getting there. Only two more pretty rare types of reactions that I want to go through just briefly. First one is transfusion-related sepsis. So just like it sounds, there's a contaminated specimen. Either there's a skin contaminant or the donor had some sort of infection that was missed. E. coli, pseudomonas, staph something. So the patient can actually get that infection from infected blood. Again, super rare, but the symptoms are very high fever, quickly, uh, like quick onset with rigors and other symptoms of sepsis like tachycardia and hypotension. So once again, 
stop the blood, return it to the lab for testing, and get going on that sepsis bundle. To learn more about the treatment for sepsis, check out episode number eight, entitled Number One Killer. And finally, transfusion-related graft-versus-host disease. This one is the weirdest because it can occur two days to six weeks after the blood transfusion. I know, right? Talk about making it hard to diagnose. This patient comes in six weeks later with symptoms. It'd be very hard to track that back to a blood transfusion. But this is when the body rejects the blood given and symptoms include rash, fever, hepatomegaly, liver dysfunction, as evidenced by elevated ALT and AST and bilirubin. But here's the big one. There's this characteristic red maculopapular rash that starts in the extremities and spreads to the core. This reaction is so very rare, but most often fatal. Okay, that was a lot. But let me assure you, there is so much more. (laughs) Like I said before, some of the symptoms overlap. And so it's important to consult a specialist to help differentiate what type of reaction your patient's experiencing and what to do about it. So I would love to review all the types with a quick summary. Here we go. The most common reaction is febrile non-hemolytic response. Stop the infusion, notify the provider, get some Tylenol on board, and you may be able to proceed. Next is allergic reactions. So this usually presents with hives. Once again, stop the infusion, call the provider, administer antihistamines, and you may be able to proceed with the infusion. Now, if the symptoms are pointing towards anaphylactic shock, like hypotension, tachycardia, plus two more body systems involved, like rash plus breathing difficulty, don't just give Benadryl. This patient needs epinephrine and no more of that blood. They are allergic to it. So next is TACO, or circulatory overload response to the volume of blood that we are giving to the patient. These patients present like a CHF exacerbation with pulmonary edema. So treat it like you usually would with diuretics and respiratory support. If you get the volume overload issue fixed, there's nothing wrong with that blood. You may be able to restart it at a lower rate But in my experience, by the time you get the pulmonary edema under control, the blood's expired and it can no longer be administered to the patient. Then there's the doozy. Hemolytic reactions from ABO incompatibility. Expect a fever early on for this one and stop the infusion. Get more hands on deck to get the blood bank investigating that blood so no one else gets hurt. We give both IV fluids and Lasix and supportive care like dialysis or whatever is needed to continue to perfuse the vital organs. Next is septic reactions from infected blood products. Expect a high fever and chills, but do not give any more of that blood. It's icky. Next is transfusion-related graft-versus-host disease. These are super rare and often fatal as the patient rejects the donor's blood. The onset of symptoms can be very, very delayed, so just be aware of that. And finally, trolley. Remember that it can rear its ugly head hours after the blood is complete. Just like the patient I encountered, it wasn't even on the nurse's radar that this could be from a blood reaction since the transfusion itself went so well and it had been hours since she threw the blood bag and the tubing in the trash. This is a lot of signs and symptoms to remember, but the thing is, like the key takeaway to all of this is that you have to stop the blood if you suspect a reaction. One of the biggest indicators of mortality with acute hemolytic reactions is how much product was infused. So the earlier we can get it stopped, 
the better chance the patient has at survival. And like I said at the beginning, transfusion reactions are so rare. So it's easy to lose that awareness of the risk when all you see are improved outcomes from blood transfusions. So it's important to stay hypervigilant in the blood collection process and the safety checks and the monitoring of these patients during the transfusion and after. You are the eyes and ears for the entire medical team. So if you have a concern, it would be better to stop the infusion, make a phone call, and then be told it's okay and restart it than to just keep infusing the blood and it cause further harm to your patient. So stay on high alert as you go through each step of the process, knowing that you have someone's life in your hands. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN.